this morning I want to um, pick up where we stopped a few weeks ago. If you were here with us two weeks back, um, I just began a series uh, following into uh, what the Holy Spirit, a conversation of the Holy Spirit lit up um, on stewardship. On stewardship, and it came really off the back end of a of a word that Di Hocking brought. Remember Di Hocking from Yarra Valley was here about four weeks back and she said these words uh, that the Holy Spirit was on and um, the words that, that she said was um, don't play it safe pointers. It was, it was, it was, and when she said it there was something of like an invitation from the heart of God reaching towards us as a people and calling us into a new place of stewardship. And, and Di did this great teaching. And if you haven't had a listen to it, I encourage you to jump on SoundCloud and go back about a month and you'll see it there with her picture. Have a listen to it or on, on iTunes. Um, it's all free. You can just jump online and have a listen and you'll hear Di's teaching. And so in light of as the Spirit was starting to sort of draw our attention onto that, we began talking about what it means to steward our whole life for the greater name of Jesus and the kingdom of God in the earth and for our joy. Because it's not that we're robots in this thing, we're in a relationship. We're not robots, we're, we're in this dynamic friendship with God. And He invites us to partner with Him in seeing His kingdom come. And one of the quotes that we... Um, looked at was a quote by theologian Derek Morphew, and if you don't remember it, there it is up there, that he says this when um, you've experienced the kingdom of God or Jesus. He says, it's not possible to see the world, creation, mankind and life through the eyes of the kingdom and remain petty or small-minded when a man's or a woman's mind is shaped by the kingdom, they become a great visionary and expansive thinker. And we spent some time looking at and, and recounting some of the history of God through this place and our lives as individuals where God has brought the kingdom to us and we've seen this expansive reality of his kingdom in our life. Because I think Morpheus right. It, it, it is impossible to remain small-minded and petty when you all of a sudden, when the living God, the hope of God, who now lives in us, Christ himself, we become these expansive thinkers. And it usually starts around ourself. Well, what what is my life going to become now that I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus is ruling and reigning through my life? All of a sudden, we, we start to think, gosh, maybe I'm, I'm meant to be more... I'm meant to be formal. I'm meant to be given to something bigger or greater. And so we begin this journey of, Lord, why is your spirit upon me? Why have you gifted me? Why have you graced me? What are you now calling me into that's more than where I am right now? And um, we looked at all sorts of areas, of, of even as a local church, of areas of mercy, areas of healing, life of worship, and we've seen this expansive work of God through this place over 20 years. We also then, um, last Sunday, which was super awesome, 
to have John and Naomi up here from um, from the Westgate community in Victoria. It was so great to have John come and speak. Hasn't he? He's just blossoming, isn't he? As a, as a pastor and as a teacher, it's so great to watch happen when someone's just God's just you know expanding that work of Jesus still. It's incredible. Anyway, um, and he comes in and he puts up this slide and he. On the, on the big screen here, and he says, I, I feel like I want to teach about how, you know, the kingdom life is this expansive life. <laughs> not, he, he literally checked in with me just before we started church together. Listen, mate, you got no idea, that's just like so right on. So please bring that message. And John brought this great message about how God is busy at work all around us. In the lives of everyone all around us, his kingdom is reaching and expanding. And then God gives us this opportunity not to have to make stuff up, but just to join in with what he's already doing to see people come into God's good kingdom. And um, I just thought that was so, so great. And wasn't it good? I, you may not have, well, I'm always listening to people's words and how they use them. And how sometimes when they use certain words, um, it's like the Spirit of God kind of like breathes on them and they reach into your heart or they, they, they shift your capacity to think and see a different way. And you know who I really experienced that from last weekend? It wasn't John. It was when the principal of the Long State School stood here. And he stood here and he said, I think it was three times, I definitely know it was two, but I have a hunch it was three, that he said these words. He says, the door is open to you, referring to the school, referring to the school. And you've got to understand that when, when I heard those words, what I was hearing was God saying, come on, come and join me in what I'm already doing in the world. Come and partner with me. That's a great thing. So, I, uh, you know, guys brought this great message of expansive kingdom thinking. Derek's continuing to encourage us through his work in the book called Breakthrough on Kingdom Thinking. The Lord's um, invited us um, through through JB as he's teaching into it. The local principal of the school is saying, hey, come on, the door is open. So when it comes to... Um, us here at the vineyard, we want to give ourselves to that, and we hear the words that die said. Don't play it safe. Don't play it safe. Now, now we looked at we looked at our context, but this morning I want to jump. You know our context here, but this morning I want to jump into. Um, you know that. Have you ever seen the movie um, Jerry Maguire? Jerry Maguire with Tom Cruise and. Um, uh, Cuba Golding. Is that Cuba Golding? Yeah. And, and, and Golding is like this um, football player and, and Jerry's a con you know, he manages con you know athletes and so forth. And anyway, well Jerry loses all of his um, patience, all of his patience, all of his players as their manager, as their sports manager, he loses their contracts uh, because he comes out with this philosophy of you know what, I actually want to make a real positive difference in the life of my, you know, the athletes that I'm managing. And everyone in the industry is just like, absolutely rips into Jerry and says, don't be so stupid, you know. But Jerry's trying to shift the culture and anyway, he loses all of his 
um, contractors, contracted players, and except for this one player. And I was going to show you the video, but there's a spicy language in it, so I thought I'd better not show you the video. And, um, but there's that one scene where he's, Jerry's on the phone to Cuba, and, and they're, they're working out the contract, you know, and so, and Jerry's like, I'm going to be there for you, I'm going to do this, and, and, and Cuba says, Jerry, it's just about one thing, one thing, mate, and he says, and he turns up the stereo in his kitchen while he's grooving like, like only he could, and he says, Jerry, show me the money, show me the money, Jerry. Say it. And Jerry goes, show me the money. He says, no, no, Jerry. Say it like you mean it. Show me the money. He goes, no, no, Jerry. Say it so I can feel you when you say it. And they're on the phone having this amazing conversation. You have to go and check it on YouTube and watch the scene, but, you know, cover your ears at the appropriate points. And, um, but anyway, in the midst of it, it's the money talk. It's the money talk because the money talks. It's the money talk because the money talks. And it's the same for us as followers of Jesus. We need to have the money talk because the money talks. It's like every other conversation I'm having with my, my, my children as they're growing up. You have to have the sex talk because the sex is talking a lot in our culture and context. Well... Just like we have to have the sex talk, we have to have the money talk. Because the money talks in our culture very much. Money is what drives us in our culture, in our context. And so this morning, um, I want to pick up on where we started in Psalm 24, verse 1, where King David wrote, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and, and those who live in it. And um, I just want to, as we begin the money talk, I want to put this in your thinking. Sorry. To reduce our thinking and our activity of giving God 10% of our finances as a vision to behold is simply too small a vision, especially when God has invited us to steward all of his creation with him as disciples of Jesus. Okay, so I want to seed your thinking with that kind of lens. That kind of lens. Okay? And I'm, I'm going to share some practical tips on how Nick, Nick and I have grown in this. And hopefully, along the way, there might be some things that you can pick up as, as tools for your own circumstances. Now, I did share a couple of weeks ago that many of us handle money on the basis of our family of origin. Um, and some of us were given tools to be able to handle money. Some of us, we, it's like the sex talk, for some people they never got the sex talk, and some people never got the money talk, and how to, how to handle money, and so they had to figure it out. Well, what do I do? How do we how do we handle this? And um, and even now, for some of us who became followers of Jesus and into the kingdom of God, it's now like, well, how do I? No one's taught me how to handle money now that I'm a follower of Jesus. Was that obviously? There's some sort of reprioritization that has to happen now that Jesus is Lord with everything that I've been given. And so we, we've either inherited by good impartation and good teaching and good um, praxis and modeling, or we've never heard anything and we've never been shown anything and we've never been given any tools on what to do. And so somewhere in between those two ends, we want to kind of find a place 
where we can follow Jesus in the area of honor and the kingdom of God and what it means in the world. Can I just say, as a kid, I was always brought up with the understanding that money was very, very important. And I was shown that it was very important because as far back as I can remember as a young fellow, I was given three little Mr. Mr. Orchie, Mr. Orchie, Mr. Orchie juice, orange bottle juice bottles. You know, they were only about maybe 300 mils. And we were given three of them. And um, I would put them on my desk. And on, on each of was one was written the word serve, the other was written the word save, and on the third one was written the word spend. Yeah. Serve, save, and spend. These were the three little orange juice bottles that sat on my desk. And so whenever I was given pocket money, or I was, um, you know, earned a little bit of money for doing stuff around the house or around the yard or whatever, I would be, I would be encouraged to take that money and use some of it to some God's giving you this to be able to serve something bigger than yourself. So put a bit in there, put some in savings because you know one day you might need something because something breaks down. So put a bit in there, or you might have something that you want to buy. So save up for it, put a bit in there, and then spend, which was like basically a pack of lollies on the way to school the next day, you know. So I was taught save, serve, save, and spend. Serving was my money, my serve money, when um, when we went to church as kids and then when we didn't for a little while, but then when we started going again, I was always encouraged that that serve money would go to God. And the best way to express that was I would take it to the local church and put it in the offering. Sorry? <laughs> Serving was always about the fact that my parents tried to teach me there's something bigger than you and it's called God and he's doing something and it would be really good for you to serve what God's doing and so this little practice of mine shaped my giving experience as a little girl. And I grew up doing that. I, I forget what I, you know, Mr. Orchie Orange Bottles disappeared off the Love to give. So I'm, I'm fast forwarding a lot of years now. <laughs> From uh, Mr. Orchie Bottles to Nicole and I, we're married. So now Nicole and I, we love to give. And we love to give regularly. And we love to give lots, and we love to give lots of our time to people. We love to give lots of the, the skill set that God's given us, and we've developed over the years to away for people. And we love to give our money away. We actually find great joy in giving. And in fact, Nicole, her lovely, I was like, it's got to be more than that. So, so I'm like, well, I don't know, get them a box of jockeys. And she's it's like, oh, well. And so anyway, Nicole said, well, we can get him a card and a box of chockies and maybe a this and a maybe a that. And Nicole is just constantly wanting to, like, um, <laughs> just give more. That's her love language. She loves to give more. But our giving, when it comes to our personal finances, in terms of kingdom life and stewarding our whole life, our giving has come out of a revelation that we received when we met Jesus. He is the reason, and He is the one who informs, and He is the one who inspires us to be generous. Now, we've come into that revelation that Jesus set us free, and He's given us a whole new life. And now the life that we live 
is, is union and the life that we once wanted to author for ourselves, we gave that away. We gave it away when we said yes to him. And then when we were baptized, we told the whole world, hey, I've given it away. My life's not my own anymore. I'm now alive in Jesus. Now, one of the biblical sort of passages that has helped frame our giving as followers of Jesus is this one here in 2 Corinthians. And it's written by Paul. And it helps, uh, it's helped Nicole and I um, grow in terms of our attitude and our thinking about money and also generosity. So let me just read it to you there in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. Now, set, the setup is this Paul's talking to the Corinthian church, and he's actually, if you go back a little bit earlier in 2 Corinthians 8, he's actually. <coughs> been using the Macedonian Christian church as an illustration to stir up the Corinthian church. So he's like, hey, look at your Macedonian brothers and sisters. And if you read in 2 Corinthians 8, the Macedonian Christians, they were the poorest of the Christians, financially and, and materially. They were the poorest of, of poor. And yet, Paul talks about how those guys are always the first to want to give since meeting Jesus. I just think, isn't that interesting? You know, right there, Jesus actually um, redefines poverty mentality. And even the poor want to give. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul even says, you know what? They gave, and they gave more than they can how, how extreme this generosity was because these Macedonians had met Jesus. And so Paul uses the Macedonians as an illustration to the Corinthians. And he says, hey Corinthians, check out, check out your brothers and sisters over in Macedonia. In fact, Paul traveled with the field. He took them with him as a living illustration of what generosity looked like. He says, if you want to hear the story of generosity, you have to listen to these Macedonians. They know how to be generous and modeled it for the Corinthians. And so, and so Paul's using these guys as a living illustration for the Corinthian church. And let's say, Let's say he's using it for us as, as to the Indian church, as the Macedonians, and a living illustration. And Paul would write here in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows generously will reap generously. Now he's talking about an attitude here. Okay, He's addressing an attitude before he's touching a practice. He's addressing an attitude of the heart. And he says, each man should give whatever they've decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God lives loves a cheerful giver. And so God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having an all you need, you will abound in every good work. So check those words in there. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. So giving is meant to be this in terms of both our attitude of response to God and in terms of the practice of our finances, we're actually meant that if there's a reluctance that's coming into it, it's not Jesus. Because if it's Jesus inspiring our giving, there is an absence of reluctance. Now reluctance is that, I don't, I don't want to do that. That's reluctance. <laughs> or 
There's, and the other word there that Paul uses is compulsion. In other words, nothing's hanging over our head if we don't give. That might fall on us if we don't give. Or God might get cranky with us if we don't give. Or you can put whatever picture you want to that. But there's no, like, compulsion. There's an absolute sense in this in which Paul's actually saying it's on our end. Our response is on our end. God's not going to, like, squeeze you till you do. He's waiting for you to join him in being generous for the sake of the kingdom. God's waiting to engage and partner with you. Not compulsive, not compulsive. In fact, he then also says, God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful in the Greek actually means hilarious. It means hilarious. It feels really hilarious when they're giving away their money to God. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's a nervous laugh. I know that's a nervous <laughs> That's a nervous laugh. It's, it's hilarious. It, it is because it, it smacks in the face of everything that the enemy and the world and, and, and the context in which we live is says is sensible. Now, if you've ever, as a, as a like at times, Nicole and I, we have at various stages where we've tried to get some wisdom to know what to do, we've sought some advice and some counsel from financial planners. And they've sat down with us and they've said, okay, and when you're with a financial planner, you have to put it all on the table so they can get the whole picture to help you figure out a plan for the future. And as we sat with them, they say, okay, so how do you use your finances? And we all always just like, well, here's what's coming in. And the first, this chunk here, we, we use a figure of 10%, not for religion's sake, but that's where we just start. We start there. And then everything else is negotiable. But that, that straight off the top, we just like want to pour that into the work of the local church. And they just look at us like, you guys are killing yourselves. That's the worst financial decision you can be making. And we're like, well, we know that that's what you think. But for us, this is the way we want to live. We're living a different way. We're wanting to live a, a, another way. We don't want to live under what you're prescribing is the best way. And so they, they just can't, they just can't get their heads around it when we talk to them like this. They just like, you guys are stupid. And I'm, I'm, and I'm saying, well, hang on a minute. I'm 46 years old in age. I'm actually still here. I'm actually still here. I haven't disappeared. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't disappeared from my generosity, being generous to God. I'm still here. I'm still having a roof. I'm still being cared for. I'm still being able to service the needs of my family. That's got to say something, hasn't it? So anyway, just just that word hilarious. So sometimes we just think it's hilarious. It's just, oh, okay, let's give. All right, let's do that. That's just hilarious. But we love to give back to God because he's graced our lives with his life. And now we know that our hearts have been set free. So, in, and again, just that each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give. So there's a conversation that needs to take place in the heart. Now, remember at baptism, when you gave your life to Jesus. And I think Paul wrote it best when he said, 
I now no longer live. I've been crucified. My life is now no longer mine, but Christ lives in me. So our heart, and again to use the words of Paul, he says in Romans 6, now consider yourself, now that you've met Christ, dead to sin and alive to God. So the inclination and the orientation of our heart now is to want to actually come into what we've been saved for so that we can have a living dynamic experience in our heart and so of, of following Jesus. And so when it says there what you've decided in your heart, you've got to think, well, my heart now is a Jesus heart. So what would Jesus' heart be in this moment where God's asking me to handle these resources and these finances? So the inclination is to lean towards what Jesus would do, not what I want <laughs> or, or feel secure about, but Jesus. And thirdly, um, or, or finally, uh, there, sorry, there's a few of those key scriptures. And, you know, it's been fulfilled through the prophets' uh, words in Ezekiel. I'll give the people a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in them. I'll remove their heart of stone and I'll give them a fleshy heart. That's why we feel it. It's like, because mm, the money talks. Yeah, we feel it. We feel it. But our heart feels alive to God now in Christ Jesus. So um, there's, a, there's a new heart attitude that we need to come into. Now listen, I know we're pushing the clock here, and I'm going to quickly give you this morning a few little um, tips that come out of, I've called them Paul's tips. Um, 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 16. Because I think there might be some of us in the room this morning that are going, you know what, I've never been told that like, I want to do something with this, but what, what do I do and how do I do it? Oh no, it's 1 Corinthians, yeah. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So if you pull up 1 Corinthians 16, here's Paul's tips. Now this, some of you may be like, Super awesome, generous givers, and you got this thing worked out, and that's fine. Great. But for some of us in the room, we might be going, you know what? I'm at a point of change and transition in my life. I need to reassess this. I've come into a new workplace environment, whether I've got a new a wage package or we've, um, we're unemployed now. And so we're having to kind of re rehash this conversation with God. And so... So I just wanted to give you a few little tips that I think Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 16. And Paul's, um, like I said here, is, is, um, he's taking up, encouraging the church, the Corinthian church, to be generous with their resources for the sake of the greater kingdom work. And so the thinking is the people take up an offering and then Paul and some of the guys that are on the road with Paul will collect that offering up and they'll take those finances back to HQ or Jerusalem. And from there, those monies will get dispersed to help all of the kingdom work that's going on in the regions. It was, it was kind of like this, send it in. And, and so, so Paul's telling them how to go about doing that. And he's actually told... Uh, he's telling what he's telling the Corinthians, he's actually already told the Galatian church this is what they should be doing. And so here's just a couple of really nuts and bolts type of things. Uh, Paul's tips. Let me read it to you there. 1 Corinthians 16. 
Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian church to do. And on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will be after made. Will be made. And then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with the gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable for me to go with them also, then um, they will accompany me. So Paul's actually got some really good practice there in terms of financial accountability. He's putting a little bit of distance between the offering and himself. He's saying, see these, these guys here, they'll handle it, and here's their letters of um, you know, affirmation and they're trusted. Like we have a treasurer here at the Pony, it was Kate MacArthur. She's a C CPA, she got a CPA, yeah. She's a CPA accountant, she's very good, she helps do our audits, gets into the tax office every year, they're all audited, it's all signed off, it's, it's all up board. It's that kind of practice that Paul's got going on here. And so, you know, he's, he's actually encouraging the individuals now. So here's, here's Paul's tips. The first one is to realise that giving is an act of worship. And, and basically he's saying, when you guys get together on the day of worship, first day of the week, bring an offering. So what does that look like for me? What that looks like for me and me is that every week we organise that we will send money if we're not doing it in the putting it into the offering bag or at the Epos Centre up the back there on Sunday, we actually through the course of the week have it set up so that there's a direct transfer from our personal account to the church's bank account. So we do it as an act of worship and we set it aside as an offering every week. Just off it goes. Now, um, I'll finish for a minute with the, 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 the question of well, how much should we give? Um, so anyway, here's Paul's other tips. Give systematically. Um, the idea is that if we give when we worship, we give more regularly. But if we're not giving regularly, it may also be a reflection that we're not worshipping regularly with the saints. Just 
think about, and this is it. Everyone sits in these kind of messages and they go, just tell us what percentage should we give? Everyone's listening to us. What's the percentage? What's the magic number that we should give? I, I'm not going to do that. I am not going to do that. Because that is going to rob you of the relationship that Jesus is calling you to. It's going to rob you. Okay? This, this is a conversation we all need to have with Jesus. And for Nicole and I, we have that conversation with Jesus whenever there's a transition or a change point in terms of our employment or income streams or whatever. We, have, we, we renegotiate. Jesus, what's the deal here? What, what do you want us to do? How, how much do you want us to give? What percentage do you want us to give over and above what we're going to do? You've got to have that conversation. But give proportionally to your income. And that proportion will be defined by your conversation with Jesus. He wants to have a conversation with us, with all of us about it. And so we have that conversation and then we plan it in. Uh, for the next 12 months, that's the baseline. Unless you want to interrupt that conversation, Jesus, with another amount, and for us, it's always, I'm always up. It's like, because I'm trying to live up into a resurrected life. It's like, is there more that you want us to give? It's like, how much more do you want us to give for? I never revise it down. I always revise it up. That's me personally. But, um, and so for the next 12 months, that's planned. We've got a system in place. It's an act of worship. We love Jesus by doing this, and we give it locally to our local church. Now, the last thing Paul says, um, you know, have all this in place so that it's there by the time I arrive. In other words, do this in advance. In other words, plan ahead. Plan ahead. Plan that giving ahead and that systematic proportional giving as an act of worship. Plan ahead. Um, so anyway, there, there's some of Paul's little tips on giving. Um, so I just, let's, just, let's just finish here. God is building his kingdom in our life and in our region. We have a university opening down the road inside three years. And God, even through the principle of a local school, is saying to us, the door is open. The Spirit is inviting us to not play it safe, but to live the kingdom life. The call from God is...